Hey everyone, welcome back to Agile After Dark. Uh, we have a fun episode tonight. Uh, we talk about data, we talk about chickens, we talk about delivering, we talk about Greg and the good old days. It's, uh, we have a lot of fun, so hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Agile After Dark, the podcast that addresses agile topics not talked about in the light of day. I'm your host, Greg Adams Whitford, sitting here, and with me today, sitting over there, is my co-host, Brandon Gartley, and our resident nerd. <laughs> I I'm, I know I say this on almost every podcast, but I'm really excited about this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why Why would you say that? Well, A, number one, uh, we have a fantastic guest that had worked with Greg for many years, so we'll hopefully get a lot of stories. Two, uh, we're trying a new version of the remote uh, interview, which I'm hopefully is going to be a little bit better quality. And three, it's a beautiful day in the heartland today. It was a beautiful day in the heartland. And of course, we're here in Apollo 13 studio. And the one thing I'm nervous about, to be honest with you, for the first time in our podcast history, which we're up to what? How many te- How many episodes have we done? Is this 12, 10, 12? Uh, I think we're up to like a baker's dozen or so. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're good. So we're good there. But the one thing that makes me nervous is that we are bringing on uh, Kylie Barone, who I did work with um, at uh, a, n- a number of companies in the past. She's got product management expertise, amongst other things. And um, one of my favorite people, uh, we have... Uh, article written about uh, how her journey started in pragmatic marketing, and we'll post that in the show notes, um, as long as the podcast, which um, uh, accompanies that as well. But I'm happy to uh, reconnect with her, although we do talk about once a week, even though we've been working with each other for about five <laughs> years. So I want to uh, let Kylie talk about her uh, background a little bit and what she's interested in, including the episode, which today is called Hatching Those Chickens stop counting and start delivering hi everybody yeah well thanks for having me so yeah as greg said we've worked together for a while originally started supply chain so working kind of the operations logistics inventory that kind of aspect and kind of fell into product management thanks to greg which i love dearly uh both greg and product management so uh, And uh, I do it just you get to solve great problems often and be that voice of the market and that empathetic perspective and break things down to just a human level and just it's, and ideas are cheap and talk is cheap. And how do we actually get the insights and say, no, this is what they need. This is their problem. This is the pain point. The behavior is supported by the data this way and it all your ducks in a row to figure out. How are we going to, you know, just stop talking about it already and start delivering customer value? So you're not really a touchy-feely type is what I'm getting from that. (laughs) (laughs) I guess not. (laughs) You're not really so, how does the customer feel? I don't know. It sounds like you're more driven from a data perspective. Would that be accurate? Yeah, that is accurate. I Well, I guess to give me some sort of credibility, I've been in the education technology space for a long time. So it is a great space to be in yeah. because who doesn't want to help kids learn and help future generations? So you kind of got to be have some sort of heart and emotions. Yeah, and that's, that's awesome. I mean, Greg and I, both kind of have talked about our backgrounds in pedagogy and stuff. And he even got a little choked up the other night 
Uh, I'm not kidding, actually. <laughs> you didn't I have any glasses. <laughs> well, there was a little bit of that, but uh, but yeah, <laughs> he was like, and then these kids, and then all of a sudden, I was like, "Are you joking? <laughs> What's going on over there?" <laughs> I'm doing it now. Stop. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's that's super cool that you've kind of been in that space for that long, and um, you know that that you can bring all those insights into something that makes such a difference for people is really really cool. So. Looking forward to kind of talking a little bit more about that today, uh, which gets me into kind of what we want to cover today and the, and the main questions that uh, we're going to try and answer. So first, there's a lot of investment being made on how to deliver things. You know, they're, they're investing to try and hatch those chickens, but, you know, where are the results? Are we really seeing those? And then kind of how can we use some of the things that you talked about, Kylie, some of that real-time data to, to help, you know, these companies make decisions? And then finally, you know, if we have all that information and we understand that we're trying to deliver and we're trying to hatch those chickens, how do we change the mindset of kind of that sequential decision making to be something more real time and kind of create that culture? Yeah. And it's something that uh, uh, Brandon, the term Brandon, like she's called management debt. It's it's sort of like shifting from the old way of thinking, which is, well, we're going to you know design and then we're analyze and we're going to build and then we're going to deliver and it's going to take three years, which Kylie, you and I know how that works, right? We're based on our work yeah. in that first company that we worked at, education company worked in. But I think this management debt concept is really important because it's taking, um, you know, the management the management space and saying there's a different way to do things and it's more incremental versus we're going to plan out our, you know, from our budgeting to our product development to everything, we're going to do that in one gigantic three-year period. And you, how many strat plans did you and I work on at that company? Right. I mean, it, at least seven or eight, which never ended. Yeah. It was like, we didn't finish one before we started the next one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So how can you deliver value sooner so that it's not that you just have spun up a database and spun up a CICD and there's no customer value delivered before your project's funding gets cut? Right. Exactly. And that kind of gets me to I'm do my little nerd theory thing here. I know I, I've heard go. I've heard through the grapevine. Nerd like, alert. I have a, a kindred soul and spirit in, in <laughs> you. But um you know, a lot of investments being made to, to kind of get that software out more quickly. That CI, CD, uh, DevOps, you know, it's kind of the, the main thing. You know, and, and in recent uh, a recent study, um, there's predictions about the DevOps market size is around uh, 12.85, sorry, 12.85 billion by 2025 and a growth rate of 19% by 2020. I mean, that's, that's significant money that these companies are investing to but what are they, supposedly get it out. So here's where I come in. So what's the point? Why mm-hmm. why would a big company invest that kind of money and then have no apparatus to deliver what is the outcome of what you're, what's supposed to be happening is you're supposed to be delivering, getting feedback from your customers, bringing that back into the cycle from a product management perspective, and then making changes fast. What they do is it just goes into a big black hole, and they don't ever see the end because it's, it's, too, it's too far removed from a time perspective. Right, and I'm going to kind of take a different angle on that, but kind of continue on what you talked about in terms of that management debt. I mean, we're, we're, it's very easy to be the, the curmudgeon. Oh, that's a new title. Wait a second. We got another one. We got a a commie. I'm a communist. uh, A finance guy. (laughs) Finance guy. uh, EVP of being a dick. Yeah. uh And I think now a curmudgeon. (laughs) Okay, good. Okay. So now there's four. All right. So there's four four good ones. And they're kind of all related. I put it on my LinkedIn page. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, to kind of take it in terms of thinking about from that management debt side, because that's kind of what I'm, you know, 
I think we've all seen it, right? In terms of, okay, I've heard agile is the thing to do. Like that's going to get me stuff faster. Okay, we're going to be agile. Okay, well, you can be as agile as you want to be, but if you don't have the tools and the technology and the thought process in terms of getting stuff out, you're going to run up against a wall. So, okay, let's do DevOps. Okay, now we do that. Then, okay, now we have the stuff. Maybe we have the stuff out there, but then what? Okay, right, Kylie, I mean, that's kind of where I think we're at right now. Well, even if you can get through the, let's just even include the term pipelines. Like, even if you can get through in a big, again, a big enterprise organization, getting through all those pipelines, getting all those green lights, you know, even then, are they equipped to actually take back in the feedback from the customer? And that's what I want to ask Kylie is because she's kind of been on that journey, I'm sure, where, you know, you've gotten to this point where like, okay, we're willing to spend this money now to get stuff out. Well, then what? Yeah, so that's a good point. And that's where I come in with the product voice is kind of representing that outcomes over output perspective. Mm. Automated testing, CICD, all those things are great for that incremental and, you know, doing those quick releases and getting stuff out there. But are we just building stuff and deploying stuff to just stay busy? What's the kind of goal and what are we driving and how are we measuring against that? How do we know what the success criteria is? How do we know how we're doing? So thinking first, okay, what are we trying to impact? So what's the outcome we're hoping for? So, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, ed, ed tech, basically a lot of that drive, driving forces around student academic performance. So knowing what we're trying to hit and then putting in the pieces to get there and measuring them along the way. So for instance, in a gamified test prep product I did, we were, you know, test prep's not fun. It's boring. It's awful. It typically traditionally been primarily in workbooks where you're just taking um, print-based practice problems over again and again. Oh, you know, I hated like, those. Kids like, yeah, sign me up for that workbook. Can't yeah. wait to do practice <laughs> test problems. So it's that's where we took the gamification angle as our unique value proposition to differentiate ourselves but it was a risk and it was a bet and schools are more mostly conservative. So gamified aspects weren't naturally a thing they were jumping off, you know, uh, coming to sign up for and like, yes, we can't wait to bring that to our schools. The kids on the other hand, couldn't wait. So we targeted more or less the users of the software, got their feedback, got things in there ideas based on them on how to put in those extrinsic motivators that were interesting that they knew from the games that they chose to play on their discretionary time that they would then potentially choose to give up playing this game to go and play this academic game and uh, we measured them so we were trying to see which were impacting our desired you know student academic performance goals and we could see in the data over time in a short period of time actually looking in our analytics tools just you know google analytics mm-hmm. and the ones we were using that um the ones that made no impact that were basically just like flatline they might as well not have been there because nobody was usually utilizing them and they weren't driving the outcome we wanted but we clearly see that with like for instance the elements of rewards and earning coins and earning badges and being able to customize things based on the things that they earned, that was a driving force that was highly correlated to our desired outcomes. So that, I mean, it's, that's awesome. And as I said, those workbooks, man, those bring back some nightmares for me. But, <laughs> uh, but I mean, I'm kind of curious in terms of, you know, when you saw that issue, was it like, okay, we have a project. We're going to like figure out this is, we have a market that we think we can, we can get to. 
was it, it you know kind of what the traditional one which is okay we're going to look at this and we're going to create the game and then we're going to get it out and then we're going to get the data or was there getting data beforehand like i'm curious in terms of kind of how that all wove together in great well and the other thing kylie was if you remember we had a very tight budget on that project specifically and yep. one of the reasons that we were measuring things is because we wanted to abandon things that weren't working sooner rather than later so we weren't wasting money, right? Now, yep. this is where the finance guy, which I'm charged in, which you, <laughs> makes you laugh because you know me, which is I'm not a finance guy, but that was part of the reason that we were doing that was to ensure that we were investing in the right things that had traction, right? I mean, that, that was a big part of what we were doing. It wasn't, it, it's obviously about customer satisfaction, but it's also about making good decisions on the build because it costs a lot of money to build software. Yeah, that an example was sales was asking for audio, saying that we needed audio support in all of this. And as you can imagine, audio is expensive and just oh even God, the limited computer voice that we were trying to embed as an experiment. This was before we even had experimentation platforms and so forth. So we were kind of running our own little uh, ad hoc experiment and just tracking that. And you could see that nobody was using the audio. Nobody was ever clicking that, utilizing it. At all. And by the way, None this the was this was it. a war, Kylie. Remember this? This was a war mm -hmm. because senior management, okay. talk about management debt. Okay. Yep. Senior management was convinced that this was a competitive different not differentiator because it was a competitive thing that we had to do so that we could just maintain because the other product had it. And we were really up against one other product. And we fought it and fought it and said, no, it's a huge amount of money, it's a huge amount of time. Nobody uses this. And so we were able to use real data to help us make good decisions to senior management to say, no, you guys are wrong on this one. And they ended up kind of conceding to that. Yeah, we were we deprecated that feature. Yeah, we took it out and saved $100,000 immediately. And it would have just kept growing as we built yep. the product. That's right. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting when you talk about kind of that management was fighting it and kind of they're, they're basing it off kind of you know, the competitor has it, so we need to be as good as a competitor, if not better, right? Um, and that's kind of one of those driving factors that kind of exists. And, you know, so we can, okay, it's, 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 but, you know, I, I, uh, Kylie worked in um, kind of PR and advertising for a, a decent amount of time. And it was like when social media blew up and companies were saying, well, I want to be on Facebook. Okay. All right. Well, what's kind of, what's your tone? What's your, what are you thinking? And they're like, no, no, no. I just, Facebook is a thing. I need to be on there. You know, and we, and we need to make money off of it, right? And no one was making money off Facebook at that point, by the way. So uh, it's, you know, it's the same sort of kind of knee, you know, reactions where they're just kind of, this is why I'm making this decision because either someone told me about it and I think it's a good idea. And now we're seeing in, okay, let's be agile, right? Let's do DevOps. And they don't even really understand what DevOps is. And Greg and I didn't either until someone came on a podcast and told us what it was. But, um, but yeah, those sort of things, you know, and so that I'm kind of, and I kind of want to like transition from this section in, into the next one after the break, which is, um, it seems as though there's better understanding and awareness of data analytics, right? The companies are, are looking to invest more in that and they're kind of, you know, trying to, to get a feel for it, but, you know, kind of building on what we've been talking about. What are some of the problems that are kind of existing in the world that, you know, Greg and I work in and you work in, Kylie, and, and how, how can uh, those tools and the things that you're doing kind of help us there? So I'm going to take us to a break. Greg, is that good with you? That's good with me. Kylie, is it good with you? 
Yep. All right, cool. So uh, everyone, uh, please feel free to give feedback to feedback at agileafterdark.com. Uh, if you want to, you, Greg hasn't been ranting. I think he's a little afraid of Kylie. So, uh, but if you want to <laughs> request some rants, uh, just uh, email God G A W feedback at agileafterdark.com and uh, see previous episodes at agileafterdark.com as well. And we'll see you on the other side. What is your favorite uh, Greg story? That's you know of him doing something really silly. There's so many. There, uh, the good one that I like is Greg has a life-size cutout of him <laughs> on a foam board. Which is still in my garage. Yeah, so it's accentuated, and uh, it's pretty funny. He's got this giant head and everything. So when we started together at a new company, well, he was there before me, and I joined, and I was like, oh, yeah, you know, foam board Greg is coming out. So I waited a little bit, a couple weeks in. And then just brought him. We had a right when you walk through the doors, full floor to ceiling glass, <laughs> yeah. right there. <laughs> All right, we're back here with Kylie Barone, product management extraordinaire, somebody worked with a long time. We're going to talk a little bit about what we're drinking tonight. So, Brandon, are you doing something different? I am doing something a little different. You have I a mean, Chicago thing going is, on there. It is. You know, it's a Heartland beer, uh, Goose Island, which I think is pretty widely distributed now, but it's their 312. Oh, know, yeah. Chicago area code, yeah. the urban white uh, wheat ale. It's, yeah. Uh, I've, I've changed things up quite a bit. I'm doing... Oh, I'm not changing anything up. I'm doing Maker's Mark, so I'm just going to keep with the same thing. How? What are you laughing about, Kylie? Is this, everybody it's, is it, knows, yeah. Oh, everybody knows. Okay. Everybody knows. That doesn't make yep. me... I mean, we need to rethink some things. How about you, Kylie? What do you... Outside of the Cabbage Patch... What do you call it? The Sour yeah, Patch I'm, Kids? Yep. Just hopped up on Sour Patch Kids. <laughs> okay. I think we're more healthy drinking what we're drinking than eating what you're eating, by the way. <laughs> Wait, Kylie starts talking really fast from all the sugar. And by the way, she and by the way, she also is at work still. So we because she's on Pacific time. So um, so she's she uh, made a uh, an effort to make sure she was with us. So we appreciate that. Um, so I think Brandon, what we want to get into next is is how what are some of the methods to get this analytics how are they used um talk uh, kylie will probably talk optimistically about them and i might come in with some of my curmudgeon ish yeah, now that you've like branded me as every, every week i get one more of these brand names associated with me but um so kylie if you want to kind of talk about some of the things that you know especially what we did in the past things that worked um, and some of the new things that you're seeing that you're you really plugged into from the product management side of things, that would be, I think, a good idea. And then we'll kind of banter in with our, our questions for you. Yeah, sure. On the quantitative side, so it's just getting any data you can from any of the results. Like with the academic data, we can kind of see that and see how things are performing that way. But also from the behavior side, so using the analytics tools to see what features tagging make sure we can kind of tag things tag our different features our different pages our different events and see what's happening in the real world and what's working and what's not and then also kind of using the experiment mindset so when we're thinking of solving a new problem how can we try it and try it in a small aspect and kind of either test two different theories and see how they perform 
or even do things before we put anything into code and just do wireframes or lo-fi mock-ups and get those out and get some qualitative feedback or do some usability studies to see if they can go and complete the tasks that we're asking them to do. Can you add a student to your class? Does that happen successfully? Are they able to click through that prototype and make it happen? If it works, great, let's turn that into code. If it doesn't, good, we also didn't invest a lot and have to refactor. It's just fix it first So uh, the but, design. So one thing, Kylie, that is interesting to me, and by the way, SAS has made her entrance into Apollo 13. <laughs> I don't know if you heard she that. She tore down the If you could hatch. put together a program to teach a cat not to tear <laughs> down Apollo Sass, 13. SAS is our <laughs> podcast cat, and she always breaks into it. No matter how we try to make it not happen, she tears down the hatch every time, <laughs> and now it's on Can't top of me. No, she's. Oh God, no, dude. Yeah, we <laughs> don't want to do very that. Bad idea. That would be not good. Um, <laughs> she's called Sassafras for a reason. Yeah, there's, it's, it's a little. But what I wanted to ask you about is, even though we've got all this great data coming to us, and we are, you know, trying to understand what the customers are thinking, it still always ends up being the customer the client, the end user, always is just mad about the thing that made them angry the last week or something that failed last week. And so there's a science around, even if you have the data, right, there is a science around the other side of it. So when we did those great uh, buy a feature, um, you know, uh, exercises where we got customers to come in and have actually understand what prioritization means and make decisions how, how how do you deal with that? Even though you're collecting all this data and it sounds it feels very like sterile and scientific to me. At the end of the day, you're still trying to convince a user to do a certain thing or accept a certain kind of behavior driven by software. So I'm kind of interested in in what your perspective on that is because it's not just about gathering the data; it's about convincing people that because at the end of the day, you can get all the data, you can change the features, and you still have to convince somebody from a salesperson or a client or an end user that it's 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 better in their interest, right? Yep, and that's the the soft side of product management. So understanding um, kind of how to represent those customer values and to weed through that, those prioritization exercises really help because even though, yes, they were just complaining to your customer success team yesterday and they were, you know, they want it fixed immediately. When you put everything in perspective, they're like, actually, no, you know, that can really wait. We really need this larger thing because that impacts our business for X, Y, and Z. And just hearing those conversations helps you figure out what their priorities are and understanding what trade-offs they're making. So those those exercises are are very valuable and you can't just, you know, it's not just a science product management. It's not a science. We can't be, you know, just replaced with bots and AI and all that kind of stuff Uh, that in the product community, everyone kind of is coining the the term product management or product as a craft. So it's marrying the art side of it with the science side of it. So it's just one factor. Well, I'm sure Brandon's going to want to jump in with some nerd science stuff here based on what you just said. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I saw something that I thought really interesting when I was kind of thinking about, you know, our conversation today or this evening. Um, 
is that because I had come from doing a lot of digital work and it was, you know, when UX was really taking off and there was this whole concept of like developing personas. And I think Greg told me you guys used to have like this whole room where like you could view the people doing stuff and so on. But it's, yep. they're starting now, it's kind of interesting to kind of use um, the agile research method to like create behavioral personas. So to your point where they're using that data regularly instead of like, because like in, in, the, in the old school way of UX, you create this persona and you're like, okay, this is our consumer. And then you kind of always did it a directions to, to that particular persona or another persona. But the fact that they're now seeing the value in terms of, all right, the personas, they can change too, right? Um, and it, I just, I, when I saw that, I, I, I thought of you and I was curious to, you know, see if, you, if you've seen anything like that or kind of how that, that direction is going in terms of, it's not even just the product, but they're using it for influencing how you mold the product. Yeah, and it's funny, Kyla. I was just watching some show where they had they were showing some startup that was like a pizza delivery company where they baked the pizzas on their way. They're in Silicon Valley, obviously, on the way in a truck, and they had these personas around the room, just like we used to. And if you remember, Lisa, we had a, a product that was geared towards um, alternative high school students. Oh, I love this. And thing. we had what was the name of the guy in Breakfast Club that was the Judd Nelson character or whatever his name was. Yeah, but you know what you're talking about. Basically, yeah. she wrote her persona around this is the kind of uh, you know, student that we're trying to target. Not that all those kids by the way were were that kid. Oh, this but, is where you got choked up last week. Yeah, I was talking about this. But that's but that's one of the things. So, you know, I think it's it I think they work, but I do think it gets overused a little bit. Here's again curmudgeon Greg coming in. I do think it, it does it, I think it was useful at some point in time, but I think it pigeonholed. I think that everything has been so diversified when I look at my kids even Everything is so diversified now. I think those user personas are helpful, but I don't. I think they pigeonhole um, the client a little bit. And I, I, I'd want, like to get your because Kyle and I don't always agree, if you can imagine, <laughs> on these things. But I would just like to get your opinion on that, Kylie. Yeah, I'm a little squishy on personas. I kind of have a love hate relationship. So here, of course, you know, our personas are our students and teachers, and oftentimes, you know, we've all gone to school, so we've all been students. So it's kind of a catch 22 because uh, everyone kind of relates back. Well, when I was in school, this happened or my parents or my teacher, or this or that. And it's like, well, this is a different world. <laughs> you are not in school today. You are right. no longer a sixth grader in the year 2018. And these are not your problems and so forth. So having those personas does help put it in perspective to say like, I'm a student, I have to help with the family business I also have these other commitments and I have a side job and I'm also working as a YouTube influencer. So those weren't that you can't necessarily relate to that because that maybe wasn't your thing 20 years ago. So it helps from that perspective to understand all the different kind of demands on their time when we're asking them to sit in front of the computer and do algebra when YouTube is right next to it. And how much more fun is that than algebra? So uh, it helps put frame things, but it doesn't provide all of the answers because you can't just ask the persona questions and you're kind of answering for the persona. And so you're still using your own jaded perspective and influence. Yeah, and I know it's really very much different for Greg, who is a black and white TV uh, influencer. <laughs> How dare you? Watching yes, I do Westerns. use cards before stickies. <laughs> yeah. 
I think only westerns were shown in Colorado, right? <laughs> we John were, we Wayne. We horses to work to school. <laughs> <laughs> Through the desert. But I think it's true. I think I think that, um, again, it, it's a... When we go back to the... Remember the, the, the sessions we did, Kylie, with Lightning Labs, with uh, the folks who came over from... I think it was Yahoo, if I'm not mistaken. And yep. we spent... How many people's time for four days? How many people were in that? That was yeah, way too many. Probably over twenty. Over twenty people for four days, and well, I think it was a great exercise from kind of a, a culture perspective to get people engaged. I don't know if the end result was was as effective as you know having this kind of one on one experience with with an end user or a client. I think that that was, again, you get, you get to be in a situation where you're dreaming sitting in your office about, Oh, this is what they want. This is the right thing to do because we're smart. Cause that's how we were hired. And that's not the case. Like, you know? Yeah. And it's, again, I guess I just, I can't take a stance. I have a love hate too, again, with doing the usability pieces. So we did rapid prototyping and bringing users in to validate those. Mm -hmm. And then we would iterate and get it back out um, at the end of the day with part of that lightning lab and that design sprint kind of concept. But the, my problem, I love usability and I love hearing what the users have to say, but they are inherently nice when they're in those sessions. They're uh, telling you what they yeah. want you to hear. They're trying to please you because they know behind the glass, behind the one way mirror are people watching who built this and they're watching us. Well, and so that's, they, they don't want to get it wrong. Yeah. You know? And that's interesting in terms of now with the tools that are out there in terms of capturing the data, you know, those people <laughs> aren't really aware of all of the data that you're capturing, right? And, yep. um, you know, there's things now, you know, when we talked about DevOps and the previous things, there's things like canary testing and all these different things where you can really segment the type of people that you want to release certain things to and kind of get feedback on that. And in a way, it's kind of jumping past that, oh, they're just acting this way because they think they need to, right? Yeah, because how do you marry what they say and, and what they actually do? Because mm -hmm. usually it tells a different story. They'll say one thing that they're going to use it, like the audio, and then you actually go and track it, and no, they don't use it. Right, right. Yeah, and you know, I, and I'm, you know, in terms of, I think, you know, Greg mentioned that you had gone to some, what was it, a conference or something? What was it that you were mentioning? The product camp? The, yeah, the product camp. What was what was the story behind that? Because you were talking about it during the break, and I was well. Up it's on a, it. so Kyle and I were we're always we were always searching, and this is long after we had even been working with each other. But we went to L.A. and L.A. is interesting because usually you think about Silicon Valley as the center for all of this stuff, but L.A. has a really interesting burgeoning tech community, hmm. and so they sponsored this thing called Product Camp. And who is the the, the Kylie was enamored with the uh, the guest speaker that they had. Kylie, who was that? If you remember off the top of your head, no, no, didn't happen. No, we were at the Hulu offices, which we're was the, cool. Yeah. We're yeah, enamored with their offices. But you were what about the Silver Fox? Don't forget about him. <laughs> right. Move on. This is not relevant. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, what essentially what that was was it was a product management conference, and there were a bunch of speakers, and it was. I think for us, it was more of a validation of the things that we had been doing, even though we at the time, and we talked about this a little bit with Regender a couple of weeks ago, 
um, where we we really didn't think we were very good at what we were doing. And the, this when Kylie and I were there, not that we didn't get good information from it, and we volunteered and helped it out, helped out, and everything. Got a great coffee mug. Um, that was what we got a coffee this mug remember. at the end of the day. Yeah, we got a coffee mug. You're we like, like a kid that goes like the Grey Kid. Like, well, we, like, remember, we like, got there early. We like, had to put all these boxes together and all this stuff. And Kylie's like, oh, this is going to be worth it, dude. We're volunteering. We're getting for free, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay. And then we got a coffee mug at the end of it. So, Do you remember that in and of itself was an exercise, just watching a dozen product managers try to do a yes. task by the everyone way, had to put in their opinion <laughs> okay by the way this is a good point because and i know this is a little off track but we did watch so it was like how do you self-organize okay one of the principles of agile right and mm-hmm. so all these people are there for, from an agile perspective supposedly so we had to just literally put crap in bags and watching product managers trying to work together because they're all inherently selfish and want to do their own vision about their own thing was hilarious. So Kyle and I were just sitting back and we're like, they can't organize anything. They don't know what they're doing. And finally, they figured it out. But it was clear that product managers, not good as a team. They're not. They're they're inherently just about their thing. You ever seen agile coaches actually try to like be a yeah. team in sprints? Yes. It's like a disaster. Yeah. So interesting that we see these these things that we hold dear to us that we don't practice because again human nature gets in the way right that he's being very calm because you're on the on the call Kylie but that that was a version of a Greg's rant he's just not all riled up yeah uh, I, mm-hmm. I could get riled up but that but that was inter- I'm happy you brought that up because I I forgot about that <laughs> <laughs> Remember we remember we, we sequestered ourselves in that little room in the back there so we could like listen to what we wanted to and not listen to all the jargon and all the stuff that goes on with all these things that relates to that. This is by the way called Agile After Dark. If you if you uh, have been listening, you know. And we're trying to bring out topics and some of these things are just people go to these conferences and they just talk to themselves and they repeat the same things to themselves. And they're not really self-critical, frankly, in a lot of times. And, and those and I, are always the refreshing ones. And when I, someone is just like, yeah, I screwed up. Well, people are like, whoa. Right. And I think the topic of this of this is it's not only we're, we're not healthy and being honest with ourselves, but sometimes our customers don't even know how to be healthy in talking about what they need, right? And that's, I think, what Kylie just described, you know, and that's, it's a hard thing to do. Again, it's it's a human stuff. It's like Kylie said, it's a soft side of the product management is getting people to be honest and getting people to really understand what the problem is. And that's a hard thing to do because again, you're just, you're so influenced by your daily job, especially if you're in, in the in education industry, like she is, there's so much pressure. You can't look past the next day. It's hard. Right. And so I think we also need to be as a curmudgeon as I'm being, it is a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to execute. And I think you need to be sensitive also to the, Every industry that you're working with, it's financial services, you know, they have a hard time because they have these gigantic infrastructures and all this technical and management debt. Yeah, and, you but, know. you know, it's, oh boy. You know, it's kind go. of an excuse is what I'm going to say. It is. Because, you know, if they're going to make this investment, they're making the investment in, you know, we're becoming agile, we're making the investment in, in doing DevOps. You know, uh, industries are investing like 9.5 to 15.4 trillion of their value in analytics and data. Like, all right, you're making the investment. So start using it, right? So that's, I think, leading us into our last section here, Brandon, about changing the mindset of management and the sequencing and all of that. Is that true? Yeah, I, I think so. Did and you it, see you know, that transition I just yeah, did there, Brandon? Good. Yeah, yeah. He's he's on the ball. He's, he's on his A game for you, Kylie. 
I know. You can tell. It's different. I'm like, she's the boss of me. Like, I've told her since I the first day I met her. <laughs> Shuffle. Remember you used to call me Shuffle? Oh, my God. Like, I'd come by your... You knew I was coming. I'm like, how do you know it's me? She's like, could you shuffle? Your feet shuffle when you come by my cube. I'm like, okay. In your Brooks Brothers uniform. Yeah. My uniform. <laughs> yep. She's right. Oh, Can't my deny. gosh. Can't deny. So, he, so he's not changed one bit. That's that's good to know. So you want to take a quick break here, Brandon? And yeah. uh, so if you have any uh, feedback for us, send it to feedback at agileafterdark.com. We'll be back in just a minute. I'm not joking. I literally <laughs> mispronounced what my name four times. What did you say? Times. I was like, Greg Wood Adams. She, he was like, uh, he's like trying to Adams. speed through Adams Woodford. Uh, I was like, speed through the Greg part, <laughs> yeah, not the Adams Woodford part. Foot for Adams. I just, was like, it was literally three times. I couldn't. I had to do my name three times. <laughs> Why didn't you just abort and go with Gar? Like, <laughs> can't. Too much. Yes, exactly. All right, so we're back after uh, refilling our drinks and uh, chatting it up a little bit, catching up for Greg and Kylie, even though they talk every week. But uh, I'm enjoying kind of sitting in on it. Um, so we've kind of discussed there's a major investment in terms of companies saying, okay, this Agile thing, this DevOps thing makes sense. It's supposed to get things out more quickly to our customers, be able to react to the market faster. And the second section, this last section we just went through, you know, it's really kind of getting into, you know, there's a lot of opportunity in terms of, you know, uh, listening to the data that's coming back on the products that you're putting out there, uh, making sure you're not investing in things that aren't making you money anymore. Like stop, stop, you know, spending your money on that. But that all being said, similar to the agile side, I think, you know, with this, you know, way of looking at data and saying that this is going to add the value in terms of making those decisions, you know, how do we, how do we get rid of some of that management debt that we talked about and really change the mindset of kind of that sequential decision-making and, and turning insights into outcomes. And it's it, it kind of doing some of the reading. I kind of this, this concept of creating a healthy data culture within a company. Uh, it, here, so here's how I would start that conversation, Brandon. I would say I already started it, Greg. I know, but I'm going to start it again in a different way. So here's what I would say. Executives are enamored with data. They think that data is always going to solve all of their problems. They, if they can see a pie chart or a scorecard or a whatever you want to call it, they, they tend to think that's going to be the way that they're going to understand how the business is being run and that they can go to sleep at night and feel good. And that just isn't the case because it's far more complicated than that. And I think that what product management doesn't do a good job of in certain areas is help it because the conversation goes both ways it's not just teams being agile it's not just product owners being effective it's not product managers prioritizing things effectively it's also how do you communicate to executives i've said this a million times what executives want is predictability and consistency and they want to know that what they're doing is obviously making you know it's they're going to look at you know, the financials to see if they're doing well, especially if they're a publicly traded company, they're going to be very focused on that. But at the end of the day, a lot of this data will lie to them and, or they won't see the value in it 
in a way that it, it makes sense. So how how do we, I guess the the question uh, kind of to, to Kylie is Kylie, do you remember when you and I when they asked us to build a product for an existing market that was a seventy million dollar market that was the test prep product that you were talking about earlier that had an entrenched uh, competitor that was already there who had a sales distribution model that was already mature and essentially set up for that sales model, that, uh, that business model. And you and I had to go in and fight to say, this is not a good idea. We will never win this. And no matter what we did, because we didn't have any data, right? They, they were like, no, no, it's, it's a seven. We did. Somebody told them, I don't know who it was. They read it in an article or something. So this is a $70 million market. That product is a horrible product. There's no way that we can't beat them because we're, you know, the biggest c- company in this space. We're going to build a product and here's $2 million to go build, start building one. And we fought it because we knew that was a bad idea. We knew it was a very bad idea to do it because we knew we couldn't, we didn't have the sales distribution thing sorted out even to, even if we could build a better product, we couldn't deliver it, mm-hmm. you know, from a sales perspective. So Kyle, remember that meeting that you and I had where we got yelled at and you rolled your eyes at the AVP and was like, we're not, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And, and then we put it off and then we had to go and do it anyway. They made us do it. Yeah, that was super fun. and we did it we did it we went and did it and we built a great product and we hijacked it to use it as a platform for other things but you know it's again it goes back to what you're saying is how do how do you get over that hump of the executives being focused on one thing and i don't know kylie if you've had recent experiences in that same area where you're like this is just not a good use of our time or money because i don't know where you're getting your data from but this ain't where we're going. Yeah. So, um, good question. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a good example. There's just certain things where, yeah, there's an incumbent. We don't have a clear strategy on what's our value proposition and what problems are we trying to solve. If it's just me too, you're never gonna win. It's a it's a loss leader. So, it's it's but changing. You have to change the hearts and minds and trying to do that and probably data kind of helps that because that's what they're looking at is bottom line revenue or things like that. But yeah, how can you use your data to help even uncover things? So use it for, for good, not for bad. So don't use it against people or any of that kind of stuff, but how can we learn from it? And like agile kind of the, the succeed sooner instead of fail fast kind of thing. Right. Take those and- there's this new term that's the new buzz word in the agile community called business agility. Oh, right. Yeah. We love that one on and the show. It's, it's a bunch of people who came from a technology background trying to say, well, we know what business agility is because it's essentially the business is to blame. This is a mischaracterization. I'm going to get a lot of rants back on me about this. I, I, I'm not going to but, disagree with you. I but normally it's, it's, do, but it's, not on this it's one. A bunch of, it's a bunch of technology people saying the business doesn't get it. Here's what they need to do. And they're forcing these kind of agile uh, methods and perspectives on the business, which doesn't have the same point of view. And so that's where the business agility fails, because exactly what you just described, which is getting information making decisions, changing those decisions, not feeling 
guilty or bad about making those decisions because you had the information you had at the time from a business perspective and then pairing and, and working with the technology group to understand here's why we're changing that. Here's one of the main, th- okay, here we go. I'm going on one right now. Yeah, Brandon, get it ready. Get ready right Brace now. Brace yourself, people. Here's the deal. Every place I go, the biggest complaint is business and technology don't work together. And they typically try to build some bridge in the middle to say, oh, we're going to create some group in the middle so they hire more people, which isn't going to solve the problem, which Kylie mentioned earlier, to bridge the gap where the business should lead the direction and they should have a good working understanding with the technology team, meaning that they have empathy for what the technology team has to deal with, technical debt, whatever that means, all the CI, CD stuff at DevOps, all the stuff we've been talking about, if that doesn't exist. But the, but the business doesn't understand what that really means. The technology group, especially if the business is weak, will just run off and do whatever they want we saw this in a $75 million project that got delivered five years late um, at one of the companies that Kyle and I worked with. If those two things aren't meshing and you aren't using good data and the business doesn't understand what it takes to actually build something, again, this is kind of turning into a product management you know, kind of podcast, but that's, that is the biggest complaint you hear. How do we marry business and technology? Everywhere I go, that is the biggest complaint. And if you don't, if you, if the leadership can't make a concerted effort and uh, commitment to solve that problem and to build that bridge, you're never going to get anywhere. And the stuff that Kylie's been talking about the whole time, which is using these data analytics, because guess what? The technology people love the analytics. They want to see, hey, they want to build those things in. So they, they have a sense of why are we doing what we're doing every day? And the product just, we code stuff and it just goes into the ether. They love the fact that they're getting feedback, right, Kylie? I mean, didn't we see yeah. that on multiple products? They love the fact that they're a part of the business strategy too, right? Yeah, because otherwise they're just part of this black box. You know, there's a void. They don't know. They're not getting that back. So the more you kind of get them closer to the customer, the more they start having empathy. The more their ideas, like the collective group team's ideas, is just everything's richer and everything's just a better overall experience. So, and everybody's invested in that. And then we're building that healthy data culture. The team's interested. The the engineers, the developers are looking at our analytics, looking at the heat maps, understanding the peak times, understanding with their CICD and they're doing their weekly continuous deploys. This is the optimal time. They make the investment to get up at 3 a.m., to deploy at that point or whatever they have to do so that it's not during peak hours. And that's all thanks to using data for good. Ooh, data for good. Data for good. Hashtag data for good. Writing that down. Mm -hmm. Data for good. (laughs) Data for good. That's, that's pound, Greg, pound Pound. data for good. (laughs) But I mean, it's so, I was sitting here, Greg was looking at me because I I was, you know, had my hand in my chin. He was was pondering. I was pondering something. Because you guys have kind of sparked something in my mind, which is kind of goes back to something Greg has has said on on past podcasts, which is, you know, sometimes when we talk about these terms, these terms use us instead of us using them. And I'm kind of wondering from a data perspective, particularly for leadership, uh, because I think in the teams, you're you're spot on, Kali, that's been the experience that I've had They you know. They love to see the progress. They love to see that they're getting things out more quickly. They love to see that, you know, they're making a difference and, you know, it just adds to the positive energy. But I'm wondering to kind of 
maybe achieve analytics at scale, maybe companies kind of work in the opposite direction. So maybe they should start identifying some of the decision-making processes that they can improve to generate additional value uh, and kind of in the company's business strategy and then work backward to determine kind of what type of data insights are required to influence these decisions and, you know, how the company can then apply them, right? So instead of being like, just give me a bunch of data, it's kind of saying, hey, what do I need to make the right decisions? And now let's go look at the data to help me make those decisions. Yeah, what question are you trying to answer? And also don't go to the extreme of that you have to have data for everything and that you have to measure everything. And if something's not measurable, it doesn't count because, for instance, there's things like I mentioned, the extrinsic part. There's some fun side, too. So there's things that just make you who you are, make you unique or delight your users that maybe can't be measured Mm. or your company culture or things like that, the, the intangibles. And you need to have them so we don't all just become robots <laughs> just yeah. measured with our numbers and our we're just NPS scores walking around. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, I could see like uh AI ga that would be a, a fascinating. Well, it's a, that's experiment. A, that's a, a oxymoron and it's good for for the fact that Kylie has has warmed up to being saying something like we don't we just be robots that's really that's a lot of progress for yeah. her you know <laughs> it's all the swedish fish or the sour patches whatever they are right yeah i can't believe you eat those things you're like the most healthy I don't person I know. Gee, every time I like we go them. to lunch she has to have kale in her you probably moved on to sprouts or something now like mm-hmm. we, I did we, have kale for lunch today. Not <laughs> See? Sour patch. Yeah. I'm not joking. I'm not kidding around. Like every time we go, and then I get shamed, and I have to go to these. Like I have literally had to walk out of places where she's like, "We're gonna go to this place," and I go in there. I'm like, "They don't serve beer here. We're not going. Come on." She's like, "It's healthy." I'm like, "I'm not eating here." <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, Kylie? Yeah. So it, I think you know, in terms of the getting back to that data culture within a company. I think, Greg, you bringing the business agility thing in is an interesting part of that as well, right? In terms of, you know, the agile folks, we've had a lot of frustrations and a lot of the coaches we talked to is like, oh, what's the biggest problem? Oh, it's leadership. I think it's a little broad. I mean, we try and dig into that a little bit more, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but to, to understand, you know, going away from, and that's why I like talking to you and Kylie because, the world that I came from from a while ago was all projects, right? It's projects, projects, projects. Whereas I've learned a lot from Greg, Kylie. I know it's crazy, right? But uh, I've learned a lot from him in terms of kind of thinking more of things in a product vision um, and kind of, it's been interesting to hear some of the, the thought process on even in large companies, like the ones that Greg and I have worked on, you know, since he's he kind of left the education thing and hasn't been helping people. He's just been helping the bottom line. Um, <laughs> he just sold his soul. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, you know, the, the thought process of in, in those sort of industries and companies and, and what they're dealing with from an agile and a DevOps and so forth, I really do see this as the next thing. This is going to be the next thing that they're going to be like, to your point, Greg, leadership likes data, but they kind of like the data where it's like, you know, utilization reports, mm-hmm. you know, I want to know because the teams are the most expensive things. I want to know that they're working. And then I want to kind of see that they're delivering on their milestones. And they're That's, on the line for it. And they, they yeah. made the commitment. So I don't, uh, I wouldn't 
fault them for having that feeling. They just don't know how to manage it very well because of the management debt situation we're talking about. Yeah. They're used to the utilization stuff, like yeah. you know. But the, but it, utilization doesn't mean your product's going to get you know delivered on time and with good quality. It does. That has nothing. Utilization has nothing to do no. with that, right? No. I mean, that's about product management, and that's that's about ensuring that you know what your customer wants and you know, apple does a great job with this oh god here we go Kylie. and well no but they do and they they because they have the business side which they manage their inventory very well with you know tim cook that's what he does but they also anticipate and understand what clients need and when they do make a mistake they'll change things pretty quickly given the size of that company which is one of the biggest companies in america if not the biggest company so they do take that seriously, and they're a good example of how a big enterprise can be as agile as you can be that big, right? Yeah, I mean, and, I, and I would not be surprised, you know, we talked about early at the very beginning of Netflix and Amazon and so forth in terms of their investment in DevOps. Same, same. But their investment in the data, you know, and analytics and, you know, the canary testing with Netflix, like, you know, yeah. I, I could be looking at my screen, Greg, and your Netflix thing will look very different. Yeah, do you have any experience, Kylie, on that canary testing? Where it's a toggle thing, right? Where you're, you've got the toggle uh, capability to toggle features on and off for a specific group who signs up for early adoption, and you can test out on that group. So, you, so but in real in the real world scenario, not just in a test bank. Do you have any experience in that? Any... We've done some A/B testing, I guess. Yeah. Maybe that's that's some... that's basically what it yeah. is. Yeah. 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 And with the DevOps, it's getting just a little bit more sophisticated where you can basically say, just do it to a percentage yeah. or do it to people in this region or, you know, and mm -hmm. it's it's kind of built into the tools of the DevOps. And then they, of course, you know, the DevOps thing, they're kind of it, more of it is, oh, my God, is anything like but it has breaking? Be, but, <laughs> right. But it has to be run also by product management to know, OK, what group are you going to target? Mm hmm. Because you can't just target anybody because you don't really know what that means, right? And if you break something with that group, they're already mad about something. That's mm -hmm. not a good group to target. So right. you need like the early... And then you have problems with early adopters because early adopters tend to be a little bit more um, open to issues and bugs and stuff like that. So yeah. you have to have a good mix of how... And again, there's a science to doing that sort of testing. You know? Yeah, and the A-B testing, I mean, what's kind of the, the interesting insights that you've kind of seen from that, Kylie? Yeah, we're in a unique space because we're B2C and we're dealing with students mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. students' grades. And so no school administrator wants to hear that you're experimenting on kids. So that's where we kind of have to be a little tricky because we don't want anybody to fail their algebra class because of something that we yeah, were I trying remember that. to test. So uh, we can do more at the other levels, like with the teacher or administrator, because they're more forgiving and we can easier reach out to them without having um, parental consent and that kind of things. So I'd say we do more of it on those aspects versus with students directly. And that's an exclamation point on what I was saying. You just can't like randomly just release things out and not understand the implications of that, both from a, a negative impact to the user group, but also are you getting back the best data because you're measuring and, you know, we did a lot of research stuff when I was doing the research radio thing where, you know, you have longitudinal tests and, but there, there's a lot of science around that. And we're, mm -hmm. I think we're going to have future podcasts on data science and yep. how that all works, yep. but it's complicated as Kylie's pointing out, it's complicated, but you can still do a lot with what we have today. And especially with the technology of, 
you know, mining that data and in a, in a positive way that doesn't, uh, also there's privacy issues, which we didn't even talk about, but you know, we have all that to <laughs> yeah. think about yep. too. But, um, but I think yeah, that, can, go ahead. Kylie. We do a lot with like designs and mockups instead of doing it in the, their real life class and impacting potential, their real grades and their mm -hmm. ability to graduate. So that's kind of our strategy around it. Yeah. So I think to kind of wrap up this podcast, the the stuff that I'm in this last section is like been really, really insightful. And I've like a million things going on in my brain right now. Um, but I think for me, the interesting kind of how this all comes together is we've got, you know, the management debt and the leaders that are kind of just used to projects and, you know, getting things out on milestones you got the teams that are doing things more agile. They've got the DevOps. They can get things out more quickly. They appreciate the metrics. They understand that, you know, kind of how we're kind of pushing the line and getting things out and, and, and being able to then change those. We, we on a previous podcast, we talked about developers being kind of creatives, right? So they want to know, you know, how can I solve these problems that, you know, are coming back to us? But I think it really does get to your guys' sweet spot is at that product level, right? Because, you know, the leadership is going to say, I kind of want some data that's, you know, lets me know that everything's okay. And it probably should be different than the ones that we talked about. But at the product level, it's really more of using the things that Kylie talked about to form kind of an educational understanding of how things are changing, how we need to make updates. And so it's not so much of the, yeah, we're doing agile, we have a backlog, but we're still basically trying to hit milestones versus using that backlog to say it's going to change to solve a problem, to solve a problem, right. to solve a business problem. Yeah. And that's, that's part of that data culture where everyone kind of has an understanding and, and you know, that can feed into the vision. Well, and that's one of the things that Kylie and I, you know, our mantra and everybody got sick of it was what problem are you trying to solve? And I know it's kind of a little bit of a cliche these days. Yes. And, but if you, it, well, it's exactly that. It's, <laughs> it's, it's making sure that you're always focused on, listening to the end user, the client, whatever that is, so that you're solving a business problem and not just going through the motions and doing a project like you brought up, Brandon. There's a big difference between product and project. Yep. And I think the world still is learning what that means mm. in a large scale. Mm -hmm. um, but it's 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 about doing the right thing for it. And it's a hard thing to do because it's very mercurial. Yeah, And we've talked a lot about like startups and the difference and stuff like that. But you know, everyone looks at them and is like, why aren't we doing what they're doing? Well, because they got products that they got to get out to those customers. Yeah, and they, Otherwise, have, they have like four customers. So, yeah, they're going to be agile because they yeah. have to be agile. It doesn't. It's, well, they're going to listen to that data that's yeah. coming back and they're going to, you know. And then they're going to grow big and then they're going to have the same problems that all these other companies have. So don't look at, at don't look at startups as like the end all be all. They have to be agile and they have to do this stuff because they have to, because they have to get the next dollar. Mm -hmm. that, so don't put them on a pedestal and. Kylie and I might disagree with this, but I, I've, as I've learned, it's like she liked the Hulu offices. She well, they were pretty cool, by the way. Um, mm -hmm. They had beer, um, uh, but you know, it's like you can't give credit to something that is a necessity. Like it's it's hard for a large organization to transform into an agile organization than it is for a company that's just scrap to scrapping to get the next dollar like you can't it's not fair well to, it's it's a build on that and then we'll kind of like wrap this up but to build on that if we're dealing with the large companies that have been doing something for so long you know in a, in a way that's very different than what we've been talking about in this podcast 
that's even harder. Yeah, it's the debt, whatever the debt means. It's the yeah. technology debt, it's the management debt, it's right. all the debt that they have and all the baggage that they have and having to reorg and doing all the things they have to do to, to really move into this new world. It's a hard yeah. thing to do, and you have to be patient. Well, you, got, you need people like Kylie to whip him into shape and say, hey. <laughs> Come on, Kylie. Yeah, where are we headed? What are our outcomes? What are we going to measure? How are we going to track that? Oh, Don't she just always... worry about velocity and outputs yeah no it's a good like point Kylie. she yeah she always ends with this with me by the way this is always she was like well what are you doing what is your next thing what are you going to do like she always does this to me so she's ended our podcast on a kylie note yes i think <laughs> and i will just say this thank you kylie very much i know you stayed late at work and or interrupted your work to help us out with this conversation i thought it was a good conversation one that is kind of a little bit out of the norm, but I think it's good for us from a, uh, the perspective of this particular podcast. Um, I know I'll probably be having a kale salad with you at some point in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, um, of course. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's been great, Kylie. And, uh, you know, your, your reputation, uh, precedes you. So, um, yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time. And, uh, so it's another podcast in the books. All right. It's been a slim since. See, this is where I screw up. Yeah. It's been a thin slice of heaven. <laughs> Thanks, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, if you want to listen to other podcasts, go to agileafterdark.com uh, or send feedback to feedback at agileafterdark.com. Kylie's done a great job of articulating, you know, there's all this these shirt Brandon is wearing is really disturbing. I don't ever <laughs> want you to wear that shirt again. It's like a, he's literally wearing like a cat with sunglasses and, and it's right on his boobs. Like the, the, the lenses of the sunglasses are on his hey. boobs. And then there's like, it's very disturbing. Pecs, Brandon. Greg. Very pecs. disturbing. Okay. Oh, pecs. Okay. Pecs. Sorry, pecs. You're pecs. <laughs> You're saggy pecs. I got more saggy pecs than you, so... Kylie's oh now disgusted. Yeah, she's like, oh my God, I'm so glad I'm not in the heartland. She won't right say now. anything right now, but later on I'll hear about it. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs>